0: encourage you to open with me to Luke chapter 10. As you're turning there, I want to read a passage to you and tell you a story, a real story. This actually took place. This is a real life tragedy. Psalms 119.15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. On December 29th, 1972, Eastern Airlines Flight 401 was a Lockheed Tristar air jet that crashed into the Florida Everglades, causing 101 fatalities. This included the captain, two flight crew members, two flight attendants, and 97 of the 163 passengers. It was the first crash of a wide-body aircraft at the time and the second deadliest single aircraft catastrophe in the United States at the time. When they recovered the black box, the cockpit voice recorder inside gave a picture as to what happened on the flight deck at the time of the crash. It was then determined that the crash occurred as a result of the entire flight crew becoming preoccupied with one burnt-out light bulb. Here's what happened. It was a dark night. Flight 401 departed JFK Airport to Miami, carrying 163 Passengers, The flight was routine until about 1130, when the flight began to approach Miami to land. After lowering the gear, the first officer noticed that the landing gear indicator, which is a green light that indicates, identifies the nose gear is locked in the down position, was not illuminating. The pilots began troubleshooting the situation and cycled down the landing gear several times, but still failed to get the confirmation uh, lights to turn on. So they didn't know whether the nose gear was down or not. The captain who was working the radio during this time of the flight told the Miami airport, the tower, that they would con- uh, discontinue their approach and requested to enter into a holding pattern until they fixed the problem. The captain set a holding pattern over the Everglades, over the swamp. This is just west of the airport. And then he put, the, he put the plane into autopilot. The cockpit crew were now all focused on fixing the problem with the light bulb. As the light assembly was being removed, the captain accidentally bumped the steering column. Just enough to disengage the autopilot and pitch the nose just ever so slightly in the downward position. Nobody noticed this. The captain then sent the second officer down to the avionics bay beneath the the flight deck. He was told to look through a small porthole and see if the landing gear was indeed in the down locked position. He reported back that the, yeah, this is what the second officer said. This was recorded on the black box. It's pitch black out there. Too dark to see anything. And so then he went searching for a flashlight. Three minutes go by and the plane has now dropped over 300 feet. Again, no one noticed. The cockpit audio recorder indicated that everyone was still focused on the broken light bulb. Over the next few minutes, the plane would continue to descend. The light assembly was finally reinserted but in the wrong position and became stuck. It was still not working and now they couldn't pull it out to try again. In that seventy seconds, the plane lost another two hundred and fifty feet. This was now low enough to trigger the altitude warning chime located at the second officer's workstation. But nobody heard this. Why? The second officer's not there. He's underneath looking for a flashlight. 50 seconds go by, and the plane is now too close to the ground to recover from this catastrophic mistake. The following conversation, later recovered from the black box flight voice audio, uh, audio recorder. These are the last words of the flight crew First officer, Eastern 401 turning left, heading 810. Captain, huh? Radio operator, 180. 14 seconds passed by. First officer, we did something to the altitude. Captain, what? First officer, we're still at 2,000 feet, right? Captain, hey, what's happening here? Less than 10 seconds later, the jetliner crashed. After an investigation, it was later determined that the crash ultimately occurred as a result of the entire flight crew being preoccupied by one burnt out light bulb that cost about twelve dollars. Tragic. The title of this message is called Distraction. I know it feels pretty heavy. But this is a heavy to- heavy topic. We are to keep the main thing, the main thing. Distractions, I think, are, are two types, at least in the life of a believer. So obviously the, the, the temptation or sin can definitely be a stumbling block of distraction, but that's not what I'm talking about. It's definitely an, a tool of the enemy. Obvious examples being sin, self-serving goals, passions, possessions, obsessions, uh, promotions, positions. I'm not talking about any of those. I think for us in this room, distractions can be a little bit more subtle. But the end result can be a loss that's just as devastating. Well, distraction from what? You see, the pilots. Their distraction wasn't something selfish or self-serving, or they weren't being arrogant or careless. They weren't messing around and doing the wrong things. They were preoccupied with something rather important. I mean, the nose gear is pretty important if you're going to try to land an aircraft. But it took their focus off the main thing. Keeping the aircraft in the air. Brother Gary and I, he's, he's a pilot. I love Brother Gary. And he and I had a little exchange about what the many things that have to be remembered and, and practiced and routine in order to keep the main thing the main thing, just keeping that plane in the air. Now, if we were the flight crew and the altitude was our spiritual health, What distractions would take your eyes off the main thing? I want us to see a familiar passage and hopefully with a a different perspective or at least a renewed perspective. This is in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse number 38. I'm going to read the passage and then I'm going to break this down a little bit. And I want us to identify a distraction that's not necessarily dealing with a sinful act. And I hope you know what I mean by the time we get through this. This is Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse number 38. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. He had a sister named, uh, she had a sister named Mary who sat at the, at, the, at the Lord's feet listening to what he had said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, do you, don't you care? That my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. So what's happening in this passage? I'm hoping this passage is familiar. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And along the way, he entered into Martha's home, which was in a village called Bethany. We know it's Bethany from John 11. Bethany was just a few miles east of Jerusalem. This is also the village where Christ would later spend his final week here on earth. The person we're going to primarily focus on this passage is Martha. What's happening with Martha? Who is Martha. Martha is the sister of both Mary and Lazarus, the same Lazarus that Christ raised from the dead. She, she was likely the older sister, as this house belonged to her, apparently. And Jesus was well known to these three siblings. It's so much so that Jesus even said that he loved this little family. We see Martha again just before Jesus, is, Jesus raises Lazarus, her brother, back from the dead. This is uh, when she spoke those uh, memorable words. If you had only been here sooner, my Lord, my brother would not have died. When Jesus said to roll the stone away from the cave of uh, where Lazarus lied, uh, she's the one who said, but Lord, he had been dead for four days. By this time, he stinketh. Yeah, my, my pastor growing up, he only read... Old King James, and I remember it just stinketh. I highlighted that passage in my Bible stinketh. It's my new favorite word. She certainly had a way with words. She, she had memorable saying. Uh, she, she spoke memorable words, rather. Not always for the, uh, the best reasons. The third time we see Martha, she is doing what she is known to do she is serving. This is in John 12. She is hosting an, another. Dinner in Jesus' honor. And again, she is serving. She has a beautiful heart of giving of herself herself for the sake of others. Serving is, there's nothing wrong with serving. And judging by the the context of this this passage, it seems like she wanted to do it with excellence. And therefore, there was a lot of details involved. One last thing that is known about Martha is that it seems that she may have been a woman of of some means, uh, possibly having a large home for all for all the hosting that she did, and it seemed that they were inside her house, uh, the expensive uh, perfume that her sister had uh, during that third time that we see Martha that is also the occasion where Mary um, anoints the feet of Jesus with the expensive perfume, and uh, we also see some seemingly frequent provision of food. But what is most highlighted about Martha, specifically in this passage, is that she is busy, distracted, and frustrated. And this fact was made known to everybody in that room when she abruptly issued a charge and a demand of Jesus regarding her sister Mary. There was no question how she felt. Now, before we gasp and say, "How dare you, Martha?" Let's get some perspective here. Let's consider that we may not fully appreciate the situation here. Okay, we don't know if it's just Jesus that came inside her house. He was traveling with his disciples, so was it just him in the house? Was it him and the twelve? Was it him, the twelve, and the seventy-two that he was with in verse seventeen? Was, he trying, was she trying to cook for 85 people? I don't know. It wasn't there. That's just something to consider. Imagine having to prepare a meal for 85 guests and naturally geared at wanting to do things with excellence, especially with the guest of honor Jesus Christ himself. She might have had every reasonable, at least understandable reason to be stressed out and frustrated in this moment you know, trying to provide the best for Jesus and whoever else might have been there, you, you and I might have responded the same way. I mean, if, if I were slaving away in, in, in preparations while my no-rent-paying moocher of a brother or a sister gets to live in my house, eating my food, sitting at my table with my guest of honor, and doesn't have to do any work, I might be a little upset too. Her frustration might have been understandable if it would not... For an incredibly missed opportunity of something immeasurably more valuable. What was the problem exactly? Verse 40. Martha was distracted. Okay, well, big deal. She was distracted. I get distracted all the time. What's the problem? Well, think about it this way. In order to be distracted, that means by default, there is something else of greater importance that demands your attention. Otherwise, there is no distraction. She was not keeping the main thing, the main thing. So what's the main thing? What was Mary doing that Martha was too distracted to do? listening to the word of the lord but here's the thing she wasn't doing anything sinful in and of itself you see how subtle this distraction was understand martha wasn't just missing out on just a few lines of idle conversation here mary this this conversation with christ wasn't chit chat That's not what Mary was getting from Jesus. No, Mary was attending his teaching. She was devoting herself to a calling far more valuable than even service itself. We know how how important service is serving one another, giving of one another, giving of ourselves for the sake of another and not expecting anything in return. That's what agape love is. That's what, that is, agape love is what motivates that single direction kind of service. We know service is important. And if we're doing it for the Lord, you better believe we're going to do it with excellence. That's why this bothers me so much. We want to do and provide and give of ourselves, especially for the Lord, with excellence. But to help us gather the full weight of how this was a missed opportunity here, how the main thing was not kept as the main thing, consider this. Sitting in the front at the feet of the teaching rabbi was a privileged position. Traditionally, only the rabbi's personal students would sit there. So to Mary, it was no question as to where she needed to be and what she needed to be doing in this moment. Yes, a a meal needs to be served, but Jesus is teaching. This This isn't chit-chat. And what a privilege it must have been for her. I won't get too far into it, but especially being a woman in this culture, to be sitting at the feet of the teaching rabbi. What a what precious favor that must have been. Mary chose wisely. She chose what was most important. Martha had a relationship where she may have chose rightly. But she was too distracted to see what was most important in that moment. We looked at what she was distracted from. The word of the Lord, the teaching of the Lord. Now let's look at what she was distracted by. And just kind of park here on just a little bit. I know we've been giving Martha a hard, time, hard look on this. But again, let's consider the subtlety of her distraction here. The distraction that captivates Martha's single focus was not something blatantly evil or foolish. She wasn't distracted by some worldly passion of the flesh. That being said, yes, unchecked sin definitely would be a distraction, but that's not what's being addressed here. Look at the passage again. It says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Her distraction was simply something that needed to be done. So what was the problem? The issue here is order. I got to tell you, just sitting right there, I had a beautiful moment with my Lord. Just standing right there, just worshiping. You know where I usually am? I'm back there. Back in the sound booth. Praise the Lord for the team that we have back there because... Very, you guys are awesome. You guys are amazing. And I'm, I'm able to start further stepping away. And I got to tell you, it's completely different. It's just standing over here and engaging with the Lord personally. than working. I don't, know, I don't call it working, but you know what I mean. My hope is that we're recognizing that this is not a an issue, an obvious issue of sin. The issue is order. Martha's distraction was connected to honorable activity, but placed in the wrong order. That's the, that's the issue. What are the honorable activities that occupy your mind, your time, your efforts, your energy. You see, this is why it can be hard to self diagnose this sometimes. You see, what Martha was doing instead of listening to Jesus was, was honorable. There was, it was not sinful. I mean, there's no command or, or warning in Scripture that says, Thou shalt not be meticulous in the preparations of meals for a beloved guest in thine home, in thy house forever. You won't see that kind of instruction in scripture or that kind of warning or or, or flag to be, oh, to to kind of pause and and think about what you're doing. What she was doing was good. It was honorable. There was nothing, I mean, there's nothing sinful about preparing a, a meticulous dinner. For the Pilots. There wasn't a violation of protocol or procedure when the flight crew tried to fix the light bulb. It was a real issue. Again, the problem is order. Order of what importance? What takes precedence? What takes preference? What takes priority? There was nothing wrong with work. There is there was nothing wrong with working or serving. But it should not ever put a strain on your personal relationship with Christ. Keep the main thing the main thing. Guys, if we miss this, listen to me, this is so true. And I know from personal experience, if we miss this, we will become bitter even in our service of others. Even if our intentions may be in the right place, it'll no longer be a joy to give of yourself for the sake of others. Listen to me, an embittered heart will turn all acts of service into filthy rags, into wood, hay, and stubble, the Bible teaches there's no joy in serving like that. Not when the joy of serving is replaced with frustration and bitterness. Well, how do I know that I'm there? If there's no warning signs, what, what, what am I supposed to, how, how can I self-diagnose this? How can I de- determine before I even get there? Well, there actually are two warning signs. Two warning signs to be mindful of Mindful of if. This begins to happen in your life. It's two things. Two things that start coming out of the mouth. Accusations and demands. Blaming, fault finding, insisting, imposing. When we are distracted from keeping the main thing, the main thing, the joy of serving others will feel contaminated. And this is what happens with Martha here. She says, Lord... Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. When I read that passage, just two things that she says just jumps out at me like, man, whoa there, whoa there, Martha. Don't you care, accusation. Tell her, demand I mean, how could it ever be assumed that Christ does not care? How can any of us have the gall to tell Jesus to do anything? I know we want to say, how can, I mean, even I'm saying it. How can Martha stand there and accuse and make demands of Jesus? Well, here's a hint. These are the symptoms of a distracted life. You show me one that claims faith. And has inadvertently put something before him. I'll show you a frustrated individual. This is the warning chimes telling you that you're flying too low. But we can't hear these warnings sometimes if our distraction becomes justified. That's exactly what happened in this situation. It's, don't you understand these preparations? Uh, these, uh, these, pre- these preparations are what's important right now. And it requires my undivided attention right now. Don't you understand this bulb is important? This bulb is what's important right now. And it, and it, and it, and it requires my undivided attention. Accusation, demand. Now, who is she accusing exactly? Indirectly, she's accusing her sister, obviously. She's not doing anything in her mind. She used to be helping me, but she's not. But who does she directly accuse? Don't you care, Jesus? Do you not care? Isn't that the response we see, we see in similar situations? You know, Joe Schmo, will, uh, you know, the, the weekend Christian, He'll invest all his time, money, sweat, and tears on an endeavor that falls apart. But he claims faith. And so then he blames God because God had the power to make everything work out. He could have made everything work out for him, but it didn't. How many times do we see people blaming God for their personal endeavors falling apart? Now, it is true. I mean, I do get where he might be coming from, God will work all things out for for good. Isn't that what the Bible says? It says, Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good, period. Right? No. Passage doesn't stop there. Sometimes I think we do want to put a period there. God's going to work all things out for good. And we say things like, all right, God, you said it. I believe it. Work it out. Fix it. Make her help me. Now, this is, this is an if-then statement. It says, and, if, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. And to those who are called according to his purpose. To those who love God first. To those who put first his calling and his purpose in your life. Jesus' calling on Martha in this moment was not to prepare an elaborate dinner. It was to to stop, sit, and listen. Again, the issue here was order. To top it off, Martha then tries to pull her sister away. And Jesus is like, no, I can't do that. And so Jesus responds with a tender, tender rebuke. You have to hear these words with tenderness and tone. We know it was not a sharp word of rebuke because of how Jesus addresses her. He started Martha, Martha. There's at least 15 times in scripture where we see the use of someone's name in repetition to indicate a relational endearment. Jesus is speaking a word of rebuke, yes. But you've got to read this in the most tender way possible. Martha, Martha. Jesus answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed. He said, there's a lot of things that you're concerned about. And some of those concerns are rightly so. Some of those things that you are thinking about, that occupies your mind are indeed important. In fact, they're needed. But in comparison, there's actually only one thing that's needed. So he said, there are a few things that are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Now notice again, Jesus didn't say, now Martha, Mary has chosen what is good. You chose what is bad. He didn't say that because that's not what's happening here. Jesus wasn't saying that serving the way that she was serving was, was, was bad, was a bad thing to do. He was pointing rather to order. The point being made here was this, that Mary had discovered what was incomparably more valuable to service. He compared, I mean, compared to anything else, his teaching was most important. His relationship with you is most important. And in this case, more valuable than even eating a meal. You can pause for a minute. We'll eat. We'll have have time to eat. But right now I want you to grow. It's pretty powerful. Now, I think we all know that here, but is it here? How many times do we let important things in our lives, things that we are responsible for, activities that depend on us to have or take priority in such a way? That it gets in the way of us being in environments where God speaks to you on a personal, individual level. Obviously, this place would be one of those examples. This isn't the only place that we grow in our love relationship with the Lord. If it is, you might be a weekend Christian that I was referring to earlier. I'm hoping that you're not. Because we don't eat once a week. Now I realize we live in an unusual time right now and our gatherings here together as a faith family, just it's different. It's a lot more limited than in past times. But growth doesn't just take place here. So let me ask you, has a priority of your preferences, opinions, activities, responsibilities, obligations, hobbies, and life goals, and so on, has any of those things taken priority any of those important things has the priority of these things been misplaced have you allowed any of those things to hold a position in your life over opportunities to be taught by the lord i challenge you to really think through that remember the answer might be a little subtle Again, Jesus recognized that eating dinner is important, but missing out on what he had to say. Listen to me. Doing what needs to be done is important, but missing out on what Christ has to say to you is far more, missing, missing out on that is far more devastating than failing that obligation. He wasn't saying to stop cooking. Continue your preparations to have it in the correct order. The pilots of Flight 401 were not goofing off. They didn't have poor intentions. They weren't confused as to what the issue was. They were not in a place where they weren't taking things seriously. They were trying to fix a very real problem. Burnt out light bulb. They just, took, they just put too much focus in the wrong place. Now it's hard to hear the heart behind their intentions and say something like that. We did the exact same thing. This is a time for examination. Not an accusation. Like Martha, we can put too much focus in the wrong place and end up missing something so much more important by comparison. My encouragement to you, to all of us, myself included, keep the main thing the main thing. And that's Christ Jesus, our Lord.